Um, and whenever we have the opportunity to go back to campus and to minister to college students, we count it a blessing and just a pure joy because it was, it really truly was like some of the um, most joyous times in my life. Like I absolutely enjoyed it. So I'm gonna pray and then I'll get right into content. And hopefully we'll leave a little bit of time. I'm hoping that you guys will have some questions about my presentation. If that's okay with you, you got it, Matt, that, that, yeah, okay. So hopefully you guys will have some questions and we can kind of get into the thick of it. Um, the Bible does not shy away from controversy. Like the Bible is not afraid of our questions. So we shouldn't be afraid to ask those questions. You guys, you guys with me? Yeah. All right, let me pray for you and myself. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. I don't take it for granted, Father God, to stand before your people and to minister your truth to them. Father God, I pray that you will open up your word to us. I pray that you will encourage us, Lord, that you will fortify us in the faith, Lord, that you will make us strong, Lord, help us to stand in our generation. I pray, Father God, that we would live for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, I pray that you would guide my speech, that you would help me to be careful, that I would not be reckless. And I pray, Lord, that I would communicate with clarity and that you would be exalted in everything that we do. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. <laughs> All right, y'all, so I want to talk to you about the opportunity of moments. The opportunity of moments. When we think of the moments that we have in our life, Sometimes we're so fixed on those moments that we are unable to pull out from those moments opportunities that the Lord provides for us. And what I want to show you, I don't have enough time to go um, century by century, but I want to kind of do like a pick up, swoop down, pick up, swoop down, and look at how God has used moments in the history of the church, in the history of the church, to advance his kingdom. He has used these moments that seemed terrible for the people involved, but those people took those moments and used those moments as opportunities. So every generation, every generation since the beginning has moments, which by the way, history always reveals that they are opportunities. They are opportunities for us to show God our faithfulness, for us to be faithful to the Lord. So, let's look at Adam. Adam's moment was an opportunity for obedience. Adam's moment was an opportunity for obedience. What we know about Adam's moment is that he failed, right? But history looks back on this, and history says, man, it was, a, it was an opportunity for Adam to obey God. Then you have Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons. I am one of them, yes? So are you? Thanks, okay, all right. I'm gonna make sure everybody loves Jesus. Okay, Abraham's moment was an opportunity to be justified by faith in God, and he succeeded. The Bible says that Abraham simply believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was applied to his life as righteousness. Abraham believed God. His moment was an opportunity to be justified just because he believed. And indeed, this becomes a foreshadow for us who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Justified because we believe. What about Rahab? Rahab's a prostitute. Every family kind of has like that that background that people kind of don't really talk about. It, it kind of gets, you know, you, people like to kind of forget that. Well, Rahab, the prostitute in the Old Testament, had an opportunity to change her life forever, and she took it. When the children of Israel came out of the wilderness, and they're going to take this city that the Lord had promised that they would take this city, they encountered this prostitute who she had already heard about them and how they've been victorious over all these other nations already. And this prostitute is like, um, we're kind of afraid of you guys. So she agrees to help the children of Israel. 
with an opportunity, and she took it. In the New Testament, you've got Stephen, the first Christian martyr, first, not really the builder, martyr, the first <laughs> Christian martyr. Martyr is using the language, not the same thing. Stephen's moment cost him his life, but he had an opportunity to be faithful unto death. Yeah. Faithful unto death. Guys, I'm going to tell you something, and, and I'm, I'm going to move a little bit uh, quicker than maybe I might normally move, because I really want to drive home a point for you. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have claimed him as your Savior, if you have put your hope in Jesus Christ, that is not a fad, and that is not a cultural thing. And indeed, what you will realize as you continue to walk with Jesus is that the call to follow Jesus is indeed the call to come and die. Sometimes we don't feel like that's still true because many of us are not being stoned or beheaded, right? We're not being imprisoned because we believe in Jesus. But if you're careful in your observation, you will testify to the fact that there is a death that you experience in following Jesus Christ. You've got to die to your desire to be well-liked all the time. You've got to die to your desire to be perfectly understood in a culture that has rejected Christ. You are often misunderstood because you follow Jesus Christ. So you've got a culture that is saying one thing, but you're saying something just a little bit different and so this, this becomes a death to self. All right. Moments of persecution bring great opportunities. This is what I'm talking about. Moments of persecution bring great opportunities. Guys, I want to show you something from the history of the church. The history of the church. When I say the history of the church, I'm talking about the history of those who believed the testimony of Jesus Christ and fully committed to following him. So the Christian church experienced incredible growth within two generations after the ascension of Jesus Christ. After the death of the Apostle John, the second century church experienced immense persecution. Before the death of the Apostle John, there would be like these pockets of persecution that the church would experience. But in the second century, think just outside of scripture, to the third century, and just about to the middle, maybe a little bit sooner than the middle of the, the third, the fourth century, which would have been 315. And I don't, I don't, I want to go into so much detail that you guys get lost in it, but here's what I want to say, because somebody's like, you just have to go to history class. <laughs> here's what I want to say. Your ancestors, those who followed Jesus, do you understand what I mean when I say your ancestors? Those in the faith who lived before you suffered immense persecution because of their testimony. Now I want to point some things out to you, and I think you're going to be able to see that these things are happening in a similar fashion in today's culture. All right, so look at this. Here's what happened with the Christians. The Christians were living under imperial rule, subject to the dictates of Caesar. One of the dictates of Caesar was that he was to be worshipped as God. But the Christians said, no, Jesus Christ alone is God. So they said, we cannot worship Caesar as God. The Christians were called intolerant because they only worshipped one God. The Romans worshipped multiple gods, but the Christians, just the one true living God. So they were called intolerant because they wouldn't tolerate the worship of other gods. I'm hoping that you guys can kind of like see some parallels in current culture. If not, hopefully as we go on, we'll make these more clear. They didn't worship idols. The early church, they didn't worship idols. So they were seen as atheists. 
here's the reason. Because if we come up here and we bring Jesus, then we are putting him on the same plane with your God. that in today's culture, 
You can be any other religion and be celebrated. religion and be celebrated, you're brave, you're so strong, but be a Christian. And then even when you say you're a Christian, you have to include all kinds of disclaimers. But, 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 but I'm going to say, I'm, I'm not like, like the Christians you may have known, like I'm not like that. I'm, not, I'm Basically, you're trying to get your hall pass. So, all right, let me go, did I go back? Let me go back. Okay, eliminate the Christian superstitions. This is what they did. All church buildings were to be destroyed. Talking about the persecution that the church faced. All Christian books were to be destroyed, and all believers were to be removed from governmental positions and from the army, from the military. What are we, what are we observing? We are observing a scrubbing of Christians from society. where there's a scrubbing of Christians from society. The voice of Christians gets canceled every day, every day in this country. All clergy were to be imprisoned, and all Christians were to offer sacrifices to pagan deities. Now, slow, slow down for a second. Let's, let's think about this. If the Christians are already being stripped of Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they were like, this is a hard saying. Who can bear it? 
He didn't go back from. He turned to the remaining disciples and said, y'all want to go too? He's like, y'all, do y'all want to go too? And Peter said, where else are we going to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Amen. Y'all, re-meet Jesus in the scriptures. Re-meet Jesus in the scriptures. All right. So failure to comply. I got to go quick, guys. Failure to comply. Christians lost their citizenship. Christians were outside of the protection of the law. Christians were enslaved and forced into labor. Christians were beheaded and devoured by wild beasts in the arena. Christians were assembled in their churches, which were then set on fire and burned with all the worshipers inside. And we might have a bad day because, you know, and we get locked. my ideology. This is my fault. 
what I tell you to say. And it's amazing. Let me tell you something, guys. You live in a culture that redefines words today. So, like, you're talking to somebody, and you guys are using the same words, but y'all have two totally different definitions of those words, right? So people will say, oh, my goodness, she's so brave. And, like, she's just saying everything that everybody else is saying. Like, we just really want to applaud her bravery, like, just her strength, just kind of walking in her truth. But like everybody's doing that, how is that brave? <laughs> I'm just confused. Like, how is it brave to say what everyone is saying? You know what's brave? To say what people dare not say. That Jesus is the only way to God. He is not a way, he is the only way. There is not your truth or my truth, there is just the truth. Yeah. That's brave, God. Is their hardest seed. So what does this, what does this mean? And it's 
testimony is that he was once a Christ and he saw the persecution of the church and that they refused to deny Christ. He's like, okay, what is it about this man? God, you have people who are watching you and you said that you're a Christian. So they're watching. They're watching to see, okay, so like, what is it about this man? But the moment we deny him in whatever subtle way that might be, they're like, they're just like me. They just have a little Christ on it, like Tony. Just put a little Christ on top. They're just like me. But what is Christ calling for? He is calling for you to be holy as he is holy. Set apart, distinct, different. Not lights in the world. In agitation to the world. God, what, some of you, you're like, man, Lord, what's my spiritual gift, Lord? How do you want to use them? What gift have you given me? You know? And man, and that's a great prayer. But for some of you, man, you might just have a spiritual gift of aggravation. God just made you an aggravator. That's not the Bible. I'm just joking. But I want to check where that's at. Despite the persecutions, the church was growing rapidly. By the end of the imperial persecution period, the church was numerous enough to constitute the most powerful institution in the Roman Empire. Now, I want to do this. I want to go through this, and I want to show you history as an expose. Okay, just real quick. We'll go through history as an expose. This man is Lyman Beecher. He looks so mad. I'm sure at some point in his life, he was happy to be alive. Lyman Beecher, he lived from 1775 to 1863. He was a product of the Yale Revival. That's a lot of detail, but I'm going to make a connection here for you because I think it's really cool. He was a revivalist and a social reformer. A social reformer. Remember his name, Lyman Beecher. Beecher. Have you heard the name Beecher before? Anybody? Beecher? Harriet Beecher Stowe? Uncle Tom's Cabin? That's our daddy. Now hold on a second, though, because somebody was like, oh. Let me ask a question. It's going to be a rhetorical question, so it's not to put anybody on the spot. Unless you want to be put on the spot. This is Harriet Beecher Stowe's daddy. He was a radical abolitionist vociferously condemning slavery in America. His daughter wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin to expose the horrors of slavery. I bet you've never heard that before. I bet. Have you heard that before? Praise God. Because you know, when most people hear Uncle Tom, it has been ripped from its context. If you read the book, the book exposes the horrors of slavery. His daughter, Harriet Beecher Stowe, I'm going to just give to her here and her brother, Henry Ward Beecher, also a pastor, who shook things up in America because they were radical in pushing for the abolition of slavery. One of their siblings actually died because they had a printing press where they printed articles calling Christians to account, those Christians who supported slavery. How can you? You have no biblical support for this. How can you support this chattel slavery? One of their brothers was shot in the chest, running out of his printing press to warn the mob. But you don't know that. Let me tell you why you don't know that. Because you live in a culture that is set on dividing you with half-truths, with flat-out lies, honestly. But this family had a moment where slavery existed in the country that they lived in. They could have taken the easy route and lived comfortable lives, not shaking up people around them. Guys, please hear what I'm saying. They could have taken the easy route. Don't shake up things around you. You're not in slavery. But you know what they It's wrong. It's wicked. It's evil. How can we keep silent? Now, guys, 
culture right now that must be spoken out against. And y'all, it's not easy. It's not easy. People will not like you if you tell the truth. But it is an opportunity to bear witness. You have an opportunity in those moments. I hope the Holy Spirit is making this clear. I, I really do. Let me give you another example. I say that history exposes. History has a way of exposing. So, Martin Nemo. This is a poem that he wrote after the Allied forces, I say, liberated Germany. The fact of the matter is that there were some Christians in Germany who didn't necessarily see that they needed to be liberated. They were German nationalists, so they were quite comfortable ignoring German perse uh, Jewish persecution. Martin Niebuhr was one of those people. He voted for Hitler twice, even as a Christian. He ignored the cries of the Jews because he wasn't one. This is a poem that he wrote. First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. See, sometimes we can be very comfortable because things don't touch us directly, and so we're like, well, that's on them. I mean, I know the truth, and they don't want to hear it. Guys, can I tell you something? I don't care where you met Jesus. Well, I do care where you met Jesus. It's important that you met Jesus. Let me say it this way. No matter where or how you met Jesus, someone interrupted your life to introduce you to him. So you are around people who even though it's very intimidating to you, they need to have their lives interrupted so that they can hear about Jesus. Martin Niemöller looked back on his time in Germany and he was sorrowful that he had ignored the cries of those around him in exchange for his own comfort and security. History has a way of exposing. So what's the opportunity of our moment? What's the opportunity of our moment? I really believe that we have an opportunity for the gospel to be more pronounced than it has ever been. Used to be that everybody was just kind of like, you know, Christian, like, right? I mean, are we all Christians? Unless you maybe are an international student, it's a possibility that you're not a Christian. But if you grew up in America, you probably are a Christian. Now, you probably don't go to church, but you know who Jesus is. You probably know that you shouldn't be right, even when you're doing wrong. And you probably just are going to grow up and come back to Christ at some point. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now, genuinely, in 21st century America, you have people who do not know Christ. They do not know Christ. They have not a church background at all. And you have an opportunity. But the opportunity makes you even more uncomfortable because the sin that is presented these days is even louder than it has historically been. It used to be that you could talk to people and you're like, I don't even know what's going on in your life. And then you start talking and you start sharing, you're like, whoa, okay, well, that's great, right? But now it just like grieves you. People's rebellion against God grieves you. It says hello to you before they do. You're like, well, if they, and the sin, the rebellion, the I hate God says, what's up, before you even say a word. And then, what happens is usually you're kind of like, ah, I don't really want to deal with that. I don't really want to get into all of that. All right, guys. Everybody over 18? 
we have issues that we have adopted in the body of Christ. You guys are in the body of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, you are in the body of Christ. You have adopted problems from outside of the body of Christ. Let me tell you what that's like. It's like you're inside your house, and your family, y'all are all getting along. It's great. Just like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, like loving everybody. It's just great. And the house next door is tore up. Oh, yelling, police all over at their house all the time. And so you know what it's like? It's like if you go over there and you take their problems and bring it into your house. You would never do that. And yet, we go out into the world and we take their problems and we bring them back into the household of faith. Guys, let me see. I'm going to show you. I'm going to make my case here. All right. <clears throat> Wait, wait. 
Wait, what? Basically, Paul is saying, yo, I'm great. I'm awesome. Better than most of y'all reading this. <laughs> but all of that, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. All right, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip through here. No? Guys, <laughs> look, I already have about an hour and a half, two hours to drive. I don't want y'all to I'm just saying, I don't mind, but I still want y'all to be checked out. Okay. The Bible gives us an account of a slave who becomes a brother, who then becomes a bishop. Y'all should read this in the book of Philemon. Philemon, a leader in the church in Colossae, Hosted the church in his home. He was a wealthy person of influence, a blessing to the body of Christ. He was a slave owner. Do not think American slavery. That's where we go as if America started slavery. Guys. Onesimus was a runaway slave, a new convert to Christianity. Useful to the Apostle Paul, actually ran to the Apostle Paul, could have served with the Apostle Paul in ministry. But the Apostle Paul sends him back to Philemon, and Onesimus then becomes the bishop of Ephesus. Philemon 10 through 21. Hopefully, you'll jot that down and you'll read it. Everybody be tolerant. 
or they ask you a question, you know, just in any situation, like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, like, how much can you tolerate? Meaning, how much can you bear until you break? Like, just like, eke it out. How much can you? The Bible's not asking us to do that. The Bible actually calls us to take the higher road that requires Jesus Christ, and that is to love people, not tolerate them until you drop them. The world says revenge. The world says revenge. The world says, yeah, it's my turn now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's what the world says. It says revenge. The word says forgive. Guys, this is so hard. This is, this is so much more difficult than what the world is calling us to do. It is on people you perceive to have hurt you. That's easy. It's difficult to forgive people who have hurt you. And by the way, I mean hurt you directly, not by proxy 200 years ago. I mean actually hurt you. Thank you. 